Hi, if you're just finding this podcast, I am Dylan Shab, and I've been obsessed with the coming metaverse for the last decade. In this podcast, I'll be looking at everything to do with Web3, NFTs, crypto, and probably a lot more. Um, if that sounds interesting to you, please like and subscribe because I'll be uploading new videos quite often. Today, I am joined by Nick, who is more well known as Captain Bad. Hi, Nick. Hi, how are you? Doing great, man. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, so um, my background is in software engineering and, and, uh, and architecture. Uh, I've been doing it since I graduated from school in 06. Um, you know, we really, uh, I met G-Man soon after coming out of school and me and him were working together on all sorts of different software. We started with, we started with mom and pop shops, one page brochure sites. We eventually started working our way up and we did a lot of big, big enterprise level software. Um, yeah, that's that's a good. Cool. And so that that naturally, I think, probably brought you very close to the crypto world. Uh, when did you first get involved in crypto and NFTs more specifically? My first foray into crypto was with Bitcoin, um, and that was probably six seven years ago. I I bought I traded a few Bitcoin back and forth. Um, when I moved to England, I actually used Bitcoin as a, as a medium to transfer all my money over from, from dollars to pounds. So instead of paying for a, for a bank to transfer it over, I, I used, I bought Bitcoin, transferred it to a different exchange and sold it in England. And that's when I fell in love with it. You know, the whole decentralized process that that was, 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 that's where I really fell in love with it. Wow. And, and how long ago was that? That was... Let's see. I think it's 2016. Wow. Okay, cool. So you've been, yeah, that's quite a long time in the space. I mean, I, I first got involved with Bitcoin when Silk Roads was happening, mm -hmm. uh, but I really didn't take it that seriously um, as an actual coin versus a technology. Uh, in other words, I, I, I was very much in the academic space of it, like crypto to me and decentralized finance has been mind-blowing. Uh, but actually using it, I'm quite a late adapter. Uh, it's funny that you should mention what you did with the transfer, because I think a lot of people don't realize this, but one of the reasons that Ethereum has had such um, institutional adoption is because Ethereum originally pitched itself to a lot of the banks and said, you know how you've got to kind of balance your books manually with getting brinks and these trucks to pick up your money and then take them to the central banks and then settle your accounts with foreign banks. Well, why, why do that? Why don't you just use Ethereum to settle your, your books? Mm -hmm. And they started doing that. That's why they spent so much time doing the research on the security layer. And of course, that's when USDT and USDC took off as well, uh, because then the institutions were like, yeah, well, settling in digital coins makes perfect sense, but we don't want the volatility. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's it's 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 interesting. You should do it like that because a lot of people complain about um, how cumbersome traditional banking is in that sense. Uh, even if you do everything right and it's legal, but doing these massive wire transfers and stuff can get quite difficult. Yep, that's exactly right. And it, it just it it you know at that time it was uh, me and my wife moving over to London. We were there for two years, so it wasn't long. Uh, but it, it was really, for me, it was a way to, um, to uh, move it safely, honestly. Mm. Like you're talking about the wiring. Yeah. Um, I felt more comfortable with the Bitcoin sending it through than the wire. You know, you send that wire and it's always, it's, <laughs> you click that button and you hope you put everything in right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So you are more well known in the space as Captain Bad. Um, oh, even your... Even your board ape is fairly well known, uh, and your partner G Max. Um, how did um, well? Tell me about Fresh Drops. Let's let's really go from the start of you because I'm sure a lot of people listening don't know that much about rarity tools and sniping tools yet. So uh, tell me a bit about what Fresh Drops idea was and why you felt the need to create Fresh Drops. Yeah, definitely. So I'll rewind a little bit before that to talk about how I got into NFTs because I okay. think that plays into sure. it a little bit. 
Um, so G-Man is actually, uh, he was the, the one I've been working with for, for several years. He got into it uh, before I did, and he was getting into the whole Pixel Vault, and he had board apes. He had multiple board apes at that time. Um, and at the time, I laughed at him, <laughs> you know, when he first approached me with it, and he said, he said, you should buy this Pixel Vault comic one. I went and looked at it. It was the Lost Robbies, and I said, I, I don't know what this is. I'm not messing with this. <laughs> um, a few months later, uh, I got into it as well. And, uh, I was very upset that I didn't listen to him the first time. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I remember when Board Ape started taking off. I, I really was only active in NFTs after August myself. And even right. then Board Ape was still kind of reasonable. And I had all these friends going like fudding, like they, instead of saying, you know, future Board Ape, they'd say, it's, it, it, it has to be better than a board ape. Have you seen those things? Come on, man. That's ridiculous. funny. That's funny. Yeah. They've become such an iconic art at this point now too, right? Exactly. Um, the, uh, so yeah, it was August that I started. That, that's, that's when I, my first big win was with a pudgy penguin. Um, I bought it at 0.2 and two days later sold it at 1.2. And I thought, this is amazing. I'm getting into the space. <laughs> It's funny. Um, so many people have, have, have been there. Their, their red pill moment was either Pungy Pungy, Pungy Penguins or Doge Pound. Yeah. Um, I, I almost consider those two right now to have been the new guard's entry point. I mean, now we've got a new new guard, right? You're seeing a lot of even newer faces coming in uh, with kind of things like crypto bulls and stuff. But uh, Pudgy Penguins and Doge Pound seems to be where uh, people like Brett, Brett Malinowski, uh, from Magic Mushroom Clubhouse got in and Bento Boy um, and Kosher Plug and stuff like that. So even Ryan Crypto, right? He's quite well known on Twitter as well. These guys all seem to either get in at, at either Pudgy Penguins or Doge Pound. So there must be something there. They must have done something right. Yep. Cool. Okay. So you've got your Pudgy Penguin. You've just flipped. You've made 10x or more. You yep. now you've you've taken the red pull. You're like, there's something going on over here. And then what happened? Uh, so, uh, G man had, uh, work at, had been working with me on, um, this idea with, with rarity and, and, you know, at that time I had no understanding of even the contracts, the smart contracts, any of that. And he said, let's dig in and, and, and figure this stuff out. So, because it was in our background, right? Like it was just kind of des destined to be. So I spent some time and, um, started learning about all the contracts, how, how they reveal on OpenSea um, and all these things. And we actually had at that time, um, another partner who was working with us that, that had found a, uh, had, had been working on, at, at that time, rarity.tools was king, is king, still is king, right? Uh, to a degree, um, to a degree. I think they've, they've lost a little bit of their, Prominence because they, they tend to be a bit slow. Yes, exactly. Um, and I can argue some other reasons as well. Like there is extreme conflict of interest of a project paying for their, for their rarity. Good. We'll come back to that. Actually. I want to, I want to bring, we'll come back to some of those points. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so, you know, at that time they, they were king, uh, whatever they said went for rarity. So we pretty much reverse engineered their, their, their algo algorithm. Um, it wasn't that difficult because they po they posted it in a blog post. <laughs> <laughs> so we found that and we, we just kind of recreated it. And at that time, we were just pumping it out to an Excel sheet. And it was taking, you know, five or six hours. So <laughs> our first version of Fresh Drops was a five to six hour process of revealing. And we thought it was amazing. We thought, well, we're beating them by three days, so we're winning. <laughs> um. It was at that point that but we so, realized. So, but but just just so that I'm I'm clear of you, why, um, what what did you two see was missing that you wanted to create competition, right? What what was the value add that you saw in fresh drops initially that it was going to be much faster? That was faster, correct? Because exactly what you said, you had to wait multiple days for rarity tools and all these people. Have you been in a in a Discord when they're revealing? The question is, where rarity? When rarity? Right. <laughs> Everyone wants it immediately. Everyone wants to know what they have. Yeah. So yeah. if we could get, if we could do fast rarity, if we could get it out there faster, it'd be, it'd be, there'd be an edge, obviously. And, and, you know, the original idea behind Fresh Drops was to bring it to the public completely. 
for anyone who's not uh, familiar with Fresh Drops right now, it's a uh, membership only. So mm -hmm. if you want access to the data, you have to buy the NFT and um, and uh, you'll get access to all, it's an all access pass, so you get access to everything. Um, the original intention was to have some sort of time period and then we would make it public data. Right, which is, I um, think what, um, is that what Rarity Sniper does? They, they, is. they make it public, but they've got a much faster version for their holders. Is that correct? It's exactly right. And that was our original intention as well. Okay. And, um, and what, what made you decide otherwise? Well, we were, so we were the first ones doing this fast Rarity. We were the first ones, uh, to my knowledge, uh, we were the first ones doing it. And when we had a membership group and they were, they loved the tools. Um, and many of them had bought the pa the pass. We originally sold it for, for 0.3 ETH. Um, and we, we sold out in a weekend. It was amazing. And they, we allow our members to have a say in everything. You know, we, we, we put almost everything to a vote. We have our members in mind for everything. When we started working on the public access tools, we got a lot of kickback. A lot of people said, we don't want this. We don't want, we don't want to make it public. And it was before any, it was before, it was still when you had to wait three days for rarity tools. So there was no other tools offering it even an hour or two later. So at that point we said, okay, well, we're, we're just going to put it down now and we'll come back to it. You know, there's plenty of other stuff we can work on. We'll come back to it. Um, so really we're back at that crossroads again. Um, our Q1 roadmap, the last part of it is deciding, are we A, going to go with public rankings or B, keep them private and offer, um, offer alternative methods of showing it? Because one of the big things is, is projects coming out with their official rankings, which we're going to come back to. And they don't always match the actual rarity rankings. So right. we want our members to be able to see that and even choose which ones they want. So that's the, the crossroads we're at. And, and we have to decide by the end of this quarter, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pro um, certain things being public. Uh, I know that that has worked well for IC tools and for Nansen.ai uh, mm -hmm. and for Rarity Sniper, for that matter. You know, the fact that Fresh Drops is older than Rarity Sniper, and yet most people know Rarity Sniper's name does say something, right? Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, my vote would definitely be in favor. And, and, and for, for full disclosure, yeah, I do own Fresh Drops. Uh, you know, I've, I've owned it, I think, now three or four months. Um, I bought it because of a Giancarlo video um, where he was going through different tools. And I thought, you know, wow, this, this fits my needs, really. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, yes, I, I can definitely attest uh, having, having, you know, I own quite a few different educational passes and things that the, the Fresh Drops community uh, relationship with founders and team and members is, is quite, quite unique because it's a small alpha group. Yeah. Um, the conversation is of a high quality. Uh, and when we put through suggestions, they often get sorted quite quickly. Uh, you know, like one of the things that was at the top of my list was a sniping tool, right? Uh, where I'm, you know, I often have a second computer open when I'm working. And I loved the notion of it popping up and saying, hey, you know, this doodle has been listed 40% below floor, just sign your MetaMask. Um, so that has been really important to me. Um, and also Rarity Tool has a, a offer tool now where I can mass offer at the time of reveal. Uh, so that has also been really important. But you know what? Let's break down. Let's break down the current offerings of Fresh Drops. What? what uh, yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Tell me the current uh, the current things that the Fresh Drops uh, uh, tool can do. Okay. Yeah. We'll start with the tool. Um, you know, we've got two big parts to the tool. Uh, the original is the app itself. Um, the app is shows. You choose a, a collection from a dropdown and it shows you the rarity rankings and it shows uh, the UI has all of the images of all of the items. And then when you click on one, it shows all of the why it has that score. So it, sh it shows the properties, the traits and, and how rare they are and how many points they get and the score from it. And then it ranks them in that order. Um, at that point, if it's for sale, it's got a buy now button. Uh, you can buy it directly from Fresh Drops. You don't have to navigate to OpenSea. Um, 
you and you can put in offers and you can put in offers. We, we also have where you can put in offers and, and it's much quicker. You can get through 30 offers in, a, in less than a minute. You can send them out. Exactly. Like um, that's what I often do. So if I'm trying to snipe at the time of reveal, uh, I will probably select the top 50, let's say, and put in an offer for one ETH and just sign all of them super fast. And yep. I love that, you know, it's, uh, I can easily select one hour. You know, when you make an offer on OpenSea, you have to kind of go to the custom offer thing if you want it to only be like an hour or two hours and stuff. It's all very cumbersome. Uh, yes. And in the, in the reveal period, people who, who are not necessarily sniping or buying during reveal don't know that 30 seconds is a matter of getting something or not. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's a, the classic rarity tool. Now, recently, you've you recently added a Chrome extension which That's is right. a OpenSea overlay, which shows the rarity of the item um, when, you've, when you're scrolling through OpenSea. Yep. That's okay. right. It, uh, it updates it live. So that's one of the big, big values I think it has. You can be on the, the collection page right before reveal. And as it reveals, the rarities will update right there in, in, in OpenSea. Um, it also allows you, it has a, a little pop-up window on each item that you can see the, the image and the properties before it actually reveals on OpenSea. So it gives you that edge um, of, of knowing what, you're, what, you're, what everyone else has before they know what they have, right? Right. right. Um, when you do locate the one you want, it's got the quick buy right there as well. Uh, again, like you said, those 30 seconds are, are huge when it comes to time of reveal. So you click that one click button, it skips all of the OpenSea prompts and it just pops open your MetaMask uh, with, the, with everything preloaded. And, um, and then a recent update you put is that you now can set your custom, um, your custom guess and, and toggle that on and off, um, as well as choosing, uh, as I said before, like doodles. I can now set that the doodle contract, I will be prompted to purchase any doodle that f gets listed with certain properties or below a certain price or something. Yep, that's right. It watches the page as 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 as, as new listings are made, and it it will it will take your set of criteria you've entered, and it, when it something matches, it'll just pop open your MetaMask for you to to sign and finish. It also pops open a little dialogue so you can see what it is that it's found for you. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, a couple of people have said to me, why can't it automatically buy for you? And I say, well, maybe you don't get how, how private seeds work. But in order for any bot to, to complete a transaction for you, it would have to have your, your private seed. Uh, so signing is still required unless you really want to give up your security. That's right. That's right. There are tools that do that. We are looking at it, but it's not on the immediate roadmap. Right. Cool. Okay. So let's talk a bit about rarity. Um, so let's start at the OG. Okay. Rarity tools came out. They were taking three days to do reveal. And then when they did do a reveal, uh, they put all the rarities up and people were a bit miffed. Why were, why were people upset? Um, I'm sorry, could you repeat that one? Sure. I'm saying when, when Rarity Tools was getting its prominence, at some point when they were starting to do their reveals, there was pushback from the community. And, and you touched on this before. Um, I'm basically saying Rarity Tools at some point started manipulating their data in favor right. of the teams. Can you, can you elaborate a bit on that? Right. So this is my big, my big issue with Rarity Tools. Rarity Tools... Um, is a project paid submission. So when a, when a project wants their collection to be listed on Rarity Tools, they pay, from my understanding, it's two ETH to, to, to be listed. And at that point, they're allowed to tell Rarity Tools what they want done to their collection when it's listed. They get to choose the algorithm. Um, so if you're familiar with Rarity at all, there's two big features that you can enable or disable and that is um yeah let's dumb it down let's go into what goes into uh what goes into making something rare yeah perfect so to start with it's the traits uh individually how rare are they if there is ten thousand items and uh, there are uh only 20 of them with one specific trait it, it becomes pretty rare 
Um, there is the next part of it is, is trait count, which is a highly um, uh, disputed point of if trait count should be used or not. Uh, in my experience, and, and, and like I said, the default rarity tools uses trait count and, and the community likes trait count because they like what's called a clean NFT, right? Right. So let's just, like just elaborate on this. So in other words, having a low trait count is in and of itself usually considered quite desirable and rare. Exactly. Right. So that's why you will often see in collections, there'll be some random board like clown with no attachments, no hair or anything. And it's suddenly in the top 1% and people are like, what happened? Exactly. Because it's got a low trait count and the other ones don't. Okay. So, all right. So we've got specific traits themselves being rare. So in other words, laser eyes in board apes. That's right. Then we have trait count. Um, how, how many or how few traits does the item have? That's right. uh, and then the last component is trait normalization. Okay. So this one starts to get a little bit uh, hairy, but I think I can break it down in a nutshell. It's basically how many different options there are for a specific trait makes it more or less rare. So if I'm looking at eyes, we'll stick with that one. And there are 100 different options for eyes then everybody technically has something rare because there's so many options. But if there's only five different options for eyes and 95% have one of them and the other 5% is distributed amongst the other four, those are actually really rare, even though the percentage is the same between my two examples. So in other words, if you've got a very rare hat that rare hat is, is, is potentially graded in two potential rarities. How many people have that hat? Again, the trade counts. So maybe five people have that hat. But mm -hmm. that value, that it, its value as a trait goes up exponentially if there are not many other hats in the collection and exactly. decreases exponentially if there are a ton of hats in the collection. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Okay. Okay. And... Um, before we go into what different rarity snipers have chosen to do, how are these three usually weighted? Are they equally weighted or not equally weighted? They are equally weighted. It's, uh, it's, uh, we've, got, we've got it pinned in our general channel. We don't hide it at all. We're very transparent with it. There's a, a set algorithm that does statistical um, rarity that, that, that uses these. Trait okay, but like, like for example, how would a rare trait weigh up against a low trait item? Would they both get equally important weighting in, in the algorithm that's looking at for these different factors? They would, yes. Okay. They would, and trait count counts as just another trait, so it gets the exact same weighting as well. Trait normalization isn't exactly a trait. It's just applied as like a weighting. Okay. So you can't really compare it to the traits. It's, it's, it's a separate step on the, the calculation of the score. Okay. Could you speak a bit more about that? Sure. Um, after you figure out how rare the item is uh, with, you know, th that's just a simple, how many of these items have this property over how many items are there in total, right? So there's your rarity. Okay. Five over, or let's call it 100 over 10,000. Okay. And then you take that and you normalize it by applying a weighting that comes from how many options there are for that. Okay. And, and that, that gives you your score. Right. And that, and that normalization rating, um, mm -hmm. how much can that affect the score, let's say from 100 to 200? How much could it be affected by normalization? It can affect it huge. Um, however, that is less disputed than trait count. So most uh -huh. okay. that is most projects will use trait normalization. I can name a few that don't. Um, Winter Bears was the first one that I, that I can think of off the top of my head that did not use normalization and it threw off all of the calculations. And that's when I really dove in and figured out, okay, how exactly, what projects are not using this? And there were very few. Okay. 
Okay, cool. Um, and so where it started to get hairy is that Rarity Tool was allowing the project that got uploaded on their site to decide which of these factors went into Rarity. That's right. But there's actually a, a, a hidden fourth component that, that we haven't Both talked about. Sure. So that is allowing arbitrary weightings on traits. Mm. So if a project doesn't like, we call it beautifying their rankings. If they don't like the way they look, they, they tweak the algorithm until they like the way it looks. In other words, if they wanted their Pharaoh and their Samurai to end up in the top 100 and it didn't based on the normal ranking system, they can manipulate the numbers so that it will work that way. Exactly. And at that point, it's not rarity, right? Right. <laughs> it's right. it's, it's curation. Are... It's, it's curation. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Meaning, but, but, but just to be clear, we, we none of us have a problem with what we would call legendary curation, right? When mm -hmm. a collection does a one of one of something, uh, of course, all of those one of ones should share the rank of one, right? There's nothing wrong with that because each of those are genuinely unique. They don't even fall into their normal calculation because they've got something that's genuinely unique, right? which is, right. again, mutant apes have these one of ones, right? Uh, which took M3. Um, crypto bulls has one of ones. It's becoming very common now. So no one's disputing the one of ones. The problem seems to happen when the curation happens for the top 10%. Correct, correct. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll apply a weighting that just gets applied at the very end. So they'll say, uh, the, the first one that did it where we learned about it was... Um, uh, beasts of Balagoon, is that right? I think so, yeah. Um, and they didn't like that they had two, they had bulls and they had bears, if I remember correctly. And they didn't like that the top 100 were all bears. So they changed the weighting of the species to be 0.2. So at the end of the entire algor algorithm, they then only factor that in 20% and compared to the rest of them. So then all of a sudden the species in the top 100 are no longer all bears, it's bears and bulls. Well, that's bad. <laughs> and right. uh, Rarity Tools just went along with it because of course they, uh, they paid by the project. Exactly. And if you look, it is, you can find it there and it's under a settings button, but it is yeah. a very subtle little gray button that nobody is going to see unless they know to look for it. Right. Okay. And, um, all right. And um, so why is normalization, uh, sorry, trade count in dispute? Uh, trade count rarity is, you know, it's an added trait, basically. Right. Um, and it's just some people agree that it should be most, I think, from my experience. And some people just don't think that it should be. I mean, I think that's very much a, a free market question, right? In other words, people decide what is important to them. And uh, rarity as a trait has, is something that literally the community created, right? In other words, as we said, there's, an, there's even a saying for it. Everyone loves a clean one. Yes. And so I, I, I just, I find if a project doesn't acknowledge that, uh, they're not honoring the space. Exactly. It is, it's, a, it's a community decision that should be honored. Right. Okay. Now, do your, um, on fresh drops, I know that we can see alternative ratings. Uh, I've used that before just to kind of hedge my bets. Um, AKA, I can see what it will look like if all, if, if trade count is added in and normalization is added in. Uh, I can see what it will look like if trade count is not added in, and I can see if it's what it will look like if normalization is not added in. So I can often hedge my bets because sometimes, as you said, it can the, the rank can change drastically, and um, you know, and I, I don't want. I know that a lot of people are not going to be checking on rarity tools. They'll be checking on, uh, sorry, on, on on fresh drops. They'll be checking on rarity tools or something. So I will often check to make sure that my number won't change too drastically. Um, how do some of the other competition handle this, like Rarity Sniper? You know, I, I don't really know. Um, I, I don't follow along too much. I know that it was in dispute for a little while. I think um, Sniffer, Rarity Sniffer, is that right? Yeah. Uh, was a big uh, 
they were trying to disable trait count as as the default. Um, but I think that the rest of the community all enables it by default. And then a lot allow their users to to select. So to go back a little bit, we don't do that at Fresh Drops. We show the, the alternatives, but we don't allow users to select it because our original goal was to show rarity as rarity and not have it as manipulated data. So we were big on here is the algorithm, here's the one that all projects should follow. Um, but over time, like I said, we got the kickback about going public and then we said, okay, well, if you wanna use this as a sniping tool, we should at least show you these other, these other results. Okay, so so where where where's Fresh Drops at now in terms of how they feel about rarity? Right, it's been almost it's been over half a year. Yes. Um, so, do you still think this is the correct way to go about it, or are you going to be implementing new options that allow people to to select? Uh, what's your feeling? As you said, we're in the middle of deciding what we will offer to the public. Where's Fresh Drops head at on all of this? That's the crossroads we're at. Um, we we put it on the roadmap as as a decision to make. Um, you know what my ideal would be is to educate, is to go out and and make some videos and to explain to the general population this is how rarity is and this is why they've got it wrong and this is why you should care. Um, and if if that is the goal, then to me allowing our users to choose these other ones is is going against our own goal but there's a lot of competition so when we started fresh shops there was not a lot of competition so we had this opportunity to do all of this but there very quickly came in all this other competition and they're allowing these th to be toggled on and off so it adds this extra, it adds this extra component or this extra variable of we're not the only ones that are 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 doing this anymore, right? So it just makes our slice of the pie a little smaller and it makes us a little bit harder to hear, if that makes sense. Cool. Now, now that there are so many other tools, I mean, there's even one that dropped this week. Was it Whale Friends or something? Uh, uh, I saw that. Yeah. I saw so how um you know tools are becoming quite a bit cheaper sometimes and yet the, the very best tools are staying quite exclusive how is um do you think there's room for many players in the market and if yes do you are, are you expecting that fresh drops will have a certain niche or just because fresh drops has, has established a core community that know it works and have a great relationship with you that they'll stay with fresh drops they know it's i can answer for myself that the customer service element in fresh drops has been very important to me um you know and, and that help and 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 you know when you create a culture of asking questions and helping then what tends to happen is the community that surround that project tend to become like that as well right like i've learned a lot from people who are not part of the team they there they're owners of a fresh drop uh, and they, you know, they say what's working for them, what's not working for them, these tools, or watch out for these, these scams that are happening, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you think differentiates Fresh Drop and, and how do you want to continue to differentiate Fresh Drops going forward? Well, I think it's exactly that, uh, community. If you look at our NFT, we don't, our highlight at that time was not the tool itself. Our highlight was building a community. Um, and that's been our goal since day one. So I think that you're exactly right with that. I think that we have established ourselves as a, as a member-facing organization and that we do what helps our members. Um, if, if rarity becomes, let's say hypothetically, rarity becomes unimportant to the general population, which I know sounds absolutely insane, but let's just say hypothetically it happens. Um, then we'll build something else that helps our members you know it's not only about rarity to us that is just the biggest thing in the space at this time right yeah and as as i said you know to me at some point sniping became really important because as rarity as rarity got more and more competitive meaning there's more and more people that are using the strategy of sniping something at at a reveal um and now we'll, we'll talk some about something else about Reveal that's really annoying me of lately. Uh, but, but I found myself going, okay, I'm not 
getting as many snipes as I used to, how about I start to focus on my other strategy, which is uh, buying blue chips that just get listed at below a certain price because someone needs money quickly, right? Yep. And so I had been pushing for, I think, six weeks uh, to get sniping tools in place, which you, which you then added. Um, you know, it reminds me of, of the private banking world, because at some point when private banking, Swiss private banking got to its kind of critical mass, right, where um, uh, it was such an established industry, what basically ended up happening was every private bank had the same offering. Um, in other words, if you wanted, if you were a client at UBS or a client at Pictet and Sci and you wanted to get into a private, a private fund, right, an important hedge fund, everyone could get you in. Right. And everyone had to uh, not just offer their own products, they had to offer the best products on the market. And so it came to a point where it's like, well, why then do you choose one private bank over another? It's, well, the community relation, the, 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 the community manager relationship, right? Who is the private banker? Do you feel you've got a good rapport with them? Can you communicate with them? Can you call them all the time? Uh, and so I think we're kind of getting to that point right now where most of these tools are at a similar price point and offering similar services. And so, uh, although it may be cliche, community or, as you said, forward-facing community and customer service becomes more and more of the value add. Absolutely. Uh, I, I don't want to call out others, but I have been in two, two other groups where uh, the response time was just very slow. Uh, they mm -hmm. weren't rude or anything, but, you know, this is a very fast-paced uh, system. And uh, getting a reply 12 hours later uh, is, you know, barring exceptions, is genuinely not going to make you much money. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, and a shout out to another person on the team. I mean, Yonder's fantastic. Uh, yes. You know, when you're not around, they, they're there the whole time. So, uh, and then, as I say, there's certain people who just step up in the community. I mean, uh, people like Putin will step up and just know a ton, right? These are OGs. Yes that have just been around for so long that they're like, don't, don't skip on that one, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. And he's so blunt about it too. I love him. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. uh, but, yeah, yep, go, go on. ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, you know, our goal, our goal has been, and we've done pretty well at it, to provide 24-7 coverage. Yeah. Um, so it, it, we have somebody on the team in that in that Discord at all times, and we we answer questions as quickly as we see them. Awesome, fantastic. Yeah, no, no. I, I as I say, I can attest to that. I've I've given a testimony, a referral before, so I can definitely attest to that. And uh, you know, this was less about a plug, but I I feel that we're talking about a product over here, so it is important. Uh, for me to share that I have been a customer of this product and I'm still a customer of this product. I believe I bought in at 0.65 ETH. Um, Fresh Drops is now, I think, at 1.3 ETH. So, you know, it's, it's, its price reflects that people are holding it and want to hold it. Um, yeah. And you're, just to also let, before we go into a, a, a pet peeve of mine, let's just uh, talk about a few different offerings on the market. Yours is you buy it once and then you get a year's access. Is that correct? That's how Fresh Drops works? That's right. Okay. Now, a lot of the other tools, uh, there's an initial purchase and then an ongoing maintenance fee. I, I, I forget. I think it's Rarity Sniffer or Rarity Sniper has, I think, 0.1 ETH uh, every month that you pay as mm -hmm. well. Right. So there, there are a few different models, uh, which is the IC2 model as well. I mean, IC2, you don't get an NFT, but every kind of month or every quarter, you're prompted to pay. Um, right. Cool. Okay. One thing that has been a disaster of late, and it's not getting better. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. In fact, the joke right now, if you follow uh, some of the influencers on uh, Twitter, like Otto Suen um, and, and Kosher Plug and Ryan Crypto, it seems to be... Um, Actually, NFT Llama, I think, brought this to my attention. But it seems to be that the more expensive and hyped the project, the more likely they are statistically to ruin their reveal and their metadata. <laughs> What's going on, man? I, you know, I think, I don't know, honestly. I, it, it seems so obvious to me, but I, I live it and breathe it every day. Um, the only thing I can imagine is that these the, the things go unnoticed. Um, you know, there's been extreme mess ups that have caused entire re-rolls and and caused let's talk about one of them because i mean it's again this is all public data let's talk about px quest okay okay I, I think that was 
they rolled like twice or something. I mean, what happened? Yeah. Um, okay. So from what I understand, and that one's actually kind of an interesting one because they did reveal and they were on time, but they just happened to reveal at the exact same time as one of the token drops. I don't remember which token drop. So the, the moment they revealed gas spiked and it went to something like 600 way, right? So they sent the transaction to do a reveal because to do a reveal is a, is a, is a blockchain transaction that they send and it's called set base URI and it has to go through and it has to be confirmed on the blockchain. So from what I understand, PX Quest did that and they also sent one to randomize everything. Because of the spike in gas, they didn't both go through like they were planned on. The reveal went through, but the randomization did not. Oh, wow. So, right. So all of a sudden, everyone was revealing based on the data that was shown. And they were saying, hold on, hold on. We forgot. We didn't get to randomize it. <laughs> um, oh, at wow. that point, you know, in the first 30 seconds, NFTs are flying. In the first 10 minutes, they're, they're, they continue to fly. So all of this trading was done and they said, well, now we're going to randomize everything. And they did. They re-randomized everything. And then they, they messed up even more because they, they, when they did the randomization, they forgot to not include the legendaries. So they, they duplicated the legendaries. So there's two of all the one-on-ones and, and I guess they're one of twos <laughs> in PX Quest. Oh and you can go God. look at it. Yeah. What, what, what does and, that even mean though that they, they duplicated the legendaries? So when they re-rolled, they didn't remove the legendaries from the data they were re-rolling. Okay. And so so they got reintroduced as random tokens. So oh, not wow. only so were they one through two, 10. There's two of each legendary? That's right. There's two of each legendary. Holy and, mother Eve. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, we're just going to leave this because they had, they had auctioned off the original legendaries. So when they did that, they couldn't take those away from those, those people because they paid good money for them. And of course the other people did too, because they sniped them. Wow. So all these people paid good money and they weren't about to take them away. Wow. That's yeah, that was, that was an interesting I mean, and that, you know, when, when my pit hooligans was being revealed, I was on the call, I was on the AMA and they were doing that, you know, yeah, mate, we're going to do a reveal party. It's going to be amazing. Oh yeah. And Adidas was, was, was dropping at the same time. And I'm like poking the whole time, like, please, please, please delay the reveal. And they're like, no, mate, we promised everyone we're going to do a reveal. It's going to be amazing. we got a DJ and everything. And I'm like, <laughs> please, for the love of God, this is the biggest drop happening in my lifetime. Do not do a reveal. And I think it took what, six hours for hooligans to reveal. Yeah, that was pretty bad. I mean, because OpenSea kept crashing. <laughs> yep, yep. And that's the last thing you want is your, your trading marketplace, to, to your exchange to, to, to crash when you're trying to reveal. Yeah, because, you know, then I had to start, you know, then, I mean, people like Putin were laughing because they're doing math algorithms. And I'm like, I, you know, it's like, it's always this tough question. At what point do you start sniping if only seven out of 9,000 have been revealed, right? Then you right. have to, you have to know math. I mean, it's like, okay, what's the probability these 10 that I'm interested in are going to change drastically? Um, and sometimes it does. Uh, or you had Bricktopians where the metadata, the, you know, these new animated ones, right? They just have a lot more data that has to be revealed. Uh, and they're also taking a tremendous amount of time. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, what's the solution to this? People double checking? I mean, is it really that simple? I think so. Um, you know, I think that there's a, there's probably a place for a service to do these things and, and, and a turnkey service that, that does everything from double checking your metadata to uh, managing the reveal to uh, even beyond that, right? Like there's, there's, there's a huge opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, calendars keep changing. I mean, this, <laughs> this week, you know, um, uh, um, cool cats has cool pets, right? Yeah. And <laughs> they have, they had a terrible disaster, but what was so funny was watching all the people on Twitter going, wait, but we delayed, we delayed selling our product two days because we didn't want to compete with this mint going on, right? 
And now it's like, okay, well, we pushed this off another few days and everyone's like, well, what do we do? Do we rechange our schedule? Do we, you know, it's, there are only so many transactions that can happen on Ethereum if you want low gas. And, you know, if the gas is super high because there's something competitive minting, um, you have to be very brave to, to sell your product then because, you you know, the FUD starts to happen, right? Everyone's like, okay, I'm going to wait for cheap gas. And then the clock starts ticking and, you know, only a few hundred have sold and people are like, wait, are people waiting because it's low gas or is this a shitty product? Should I mint? Yeah. Shouldn't I mint? And it doesn't take much in an industry like this for the FUD, you know, the FUD avalanche to hit. No, 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 no. You are right. <laughs> the FUD avalanche. I like that. FUD avalanche, yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. Um, okay. So we've discussed rarity. Um, so what would you suggest to, oh, actually I wanted to ask you about this. So two interesting things happened uh, in the last, uh, kind of two weeks. So firstly, I've mentioned already, let's talk about the cool cats one. Um, I'm not, not sure if you were following this, but I understand that they put a custom GUI amount in their contract. Is that correct? I am not sure about that. I don't. Yeah, I, I, there was a lot of upset that that they actually put something like 3,000 guay in their contract, in their minting contract, uh, which is a very large amount of money. Right. Um, and people were upset about it because, you know, when you do something like a custom guay amount, you're literally burning the money, right? It's not like it's even going to the community pool or something, right? A Dutch auction, which is kind of starting at a high price, at least you know, the project's getting the money, right? When you have right. high gas fees, I mean, it's literally being thrown to wherever. Right, right. Yeah. Gas fees, they're, 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 a, a, uh, they're, they're a topic of conversation of, of amongst themselves, amongst itself, right? Yeah. Um, you know, with the, with the London upgrade, it changed how that works significantly. So it's, you've got the max priority and you've got the max fee, right? So if I, I, I'm not fully aware of what they did. So if they changed just the max fee, it would, it would display as a lot of gas, but it wouldn't necessarily use all that gas. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe that's what's what happened, but I, I, I don't know enough to speak about it completely. Okay. Yeah, I should look into that more. I'll make a note for myself. Yeah. Um, okay, and then the other thing that has been somewhat interesting that went under the radar and is now being spoken about more is uh, Azuki Gardens used a, a new contract, a new contract type, um, ERC 721A. Mm -hmm. uh, have you looked into that since? Um, I have not looked into it. I am aware of it though. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was speaking to some Solidity developers and they, they were quite impressed. Yes. Um, especially, I mean, again, we, you know, I don't want to overly geek out over here, but it's, it's Merkle tree compatible. Uh, and for those who are wondering what the hell Merkle tree is, Merkle tree is essential for making sure that uh, clever smart snipers cannot go around the whitelist, right? What's the point of having a whitelist if people can just go around the whitelist and mint directly from the contract? Um, and so Merkle tree is needed to uh, consolidate all of those whitelist wallets without creating an increasingly high gas price. Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, I think we have to give honorary mention to Solano. Um, how are things different um, on Solano than the Ethereum network for um, NFT projects and uh, are all of the rarity tools covering Solano as, as much as Ethereum or, or how does that go down? From what I, you know, we have done no Solano. Um, we have been, it's been a feature request multiple times. Uh, I don't know what the current landscape is like for rarity and Solano. Uh, we have just been so involved in, in Ethereum that, that we have not had a chance to really dive into it. I know that there is a, a place for rarity there. I just don't know how big it is. Yeah, I, I think they got to serious prominence when the Generative Ape Academy hit, right? I mean, right. That, that really did get people to take notice. Um, okay, and then um, I think we also honorary mentioned we need to bring up Looks Rare. 
yeah. how is LuxRare handling um, kind of properties and stuff? Is it the same as OpenSea or there's something distinctly different over there? It looks like it's about the same. Um, I have actually not done any transactions. I think I bought one or two things over LuxRare. Uh, I love that they have a, I don't know if you've seen it, a collection offer where you can offer, put one offer and it gives it on the entire collection. Um, but uh, it's, 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 not, it's not being used by enough people to be that helpful yet because you put out that offer and nobody sees it, right? Right. Um, but to go to the rarity, to speak of the rarity, I see the traits and I see that they have trait floors, which is big to me. Uh, you know, you can do that on OpenSea, but you have to do a lot of clicking to see what trait floors are. You have to filter by the trait and see what the, the lowest lowest cost is. Yeah, funny enough, you mentioned that. I mean, I use that for fresh drops often. Yep. Um, now, I, I'll give you an example. I, I own a squishy squad and I really like the horn trait. Um, and so I went, I, I was, I couldn't do it on second. I couldn't do it on OpenSea to see what the floor was on that. So I put in that trait uh, on the fresh drop app. And then I could see there were kind of 25 listed. What was the floor? Yep. Yep. That's nice. And we're going to, we're going to actually improve that soon too. We're going to, we're going to have those floors displayed directly, directly. And, and so you don't have to even click the filters. You'll just see the floors, which is what it looks like LuxRare is trying to do. It just, every time I go there, it says zero for everything. So I think there's still, it's still under development. Yeah. I mean, you know, this, this market is still so young, right? And so many people here are coming and stuck in its gold rush phase where everyone is just coming to kind of make a flip and make money and stuff like that. But there, there is, I would say, a serious collector group that's already starting to form. And um, you will often see this, that a certain trait, uh, Bored Ape is a fantastic example, actually even better than Bored Ape is Mutant Ape. Um, the suit, right? The, the, the suit and tie trait. Loves mutant it. ape is extremely valuable. It doesn't matter if the rarity is maybe 7,000 and stuff. It will often be selling at much higher than a rarity of 4,000. That's right. Um, and That's so right. we're going to start seeing that more and more. One thing that I want to bring up, which is also interesting, is part of the new meta um, are these mini games and social games, right? Uh, Wolfgang, um, Creeps and stuff like that. And I have noticed with Creeps that, um, you know, for anyone who's not familiar, different creeps in the collection based on their color um, earn a different uh, passive income per day when they state. And you will often see now two things. Number one, uh, a you know, top 1% or top 10% green one will sell for less than a much more common yellow one, right? And you will see um, um, that the lead that, that, the, the differential in pricing um, within a color is, is not much at all. In other words, it's almost like because the focus became the passive income, uh, the rarity went out the window except for the legendaries. Yep, that's right. So, so, I mean, how is that meant to be accounted for? Is that not meant to be accounted for? Uh, it's tough to account for. Um, you know, you can, you can filter by those and, and kind of look for them, but how do you factor that into statistical rarity, right? Um, uh, to that point as well, a lot of these are used for games and have other attributes like strength and power and vitality and stuff like that, right? How do you do that in rarity? Uh, one of the things we noticed is those are often distributed as like a bell curve, right? So the best and the worst are very rare where it's very average to have, or it's common to have the average, right? Right. So if you're going to include that into your rarity calculation, that means the ones that are not desirable, the ones that have low power or strength compared to the ones that have high power or strength are going to be just as rare. So what we did is we, <laughs> exactly, what we did is we removed it. We removed those traits. Basically, if it's, if it's an integer, if it's displayed as a level on OpenSea, we don't use it because 95% it, it, of the time you don't want to. Right. Yeah, I, I think, look, you know, the, the, the famous international brand Dior spelt with a Y uh, is often just kept as a buzzword that people don't use. And I think as this space becomes more and more robust and more and more sophisticated, 
people are going to have to niche in certain areas, right? In other words, I, I would not be surprised if some people just start to focus on the mini games and the social games, right? And others just focus on the collectibles that they think are going to be brands like Board Ape. Uh, mm -hmm. Because end of the day, when you that kind of reveal is happening, you, you know, it's, it's kind of dumb to just snipe every new reveal that's happening if you're not doing a bit of research. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, do your own research, guys, because if, if it is something like Creeps or Wolf Game or something which is on a bell curve like that, uh, you may want to specifically go and look for a trade. I know that I did that with Slotty, right? I had been part of the Slotty community. I'd been following along with the announcements and stuff. And they had made a complex breakdown how different attributes would have different value adds in their economy, right? And so um, they got readjusted later, but at the original reveal, uh, the, the, the king's cloaks were not as valuable, right? Because there were these legendary one of ones that were going to earn less money, but were one of ones. And so I, I was looking for both two different strategies. I was trying to get the high income earners because I knew there would be a group that would want that. And I was looking for the legendary one of ones because I knew that collectors would want that. Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. Cool. Okay. Um, so my last question for you is, is there anything, uh, What? well, no, let's go do this one. What are you most excited about right now in the NFT space? I like, you know, what I like is the staking aspect of everything. The, 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 you know, Pixel Vault is doing this amazing job at the, the staking with the meta heroes and the punks comics and rewarding with, with punks and pow, which is going to be their in-game currency. And, 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 you know, to me, so that that is, what, what is Pixel Vault doing for those who are not familiar? Okay. So Pixel Vault has created punks comics and they have they've just released issue two recently um and they are in process of making a game as well and they are shooting to be the marvel of the nft space right so they have these generative these generative meta heroes they're called and these meta heroes are going to be playable in the actual game that they're creating um, while they're still generating the game or while they're still working on the game, they are also going to be, they are distributing POW, which is a coin, right? And you get that by staking your meta heroes. Uh, I think they generate a thousand POW a week for every single one that's staked. And then that POW is going to be the in-game currency that is used when the game actually launches. And, you know, these tokenomics of all this stuff, Pixel Vault's king of it. If you haven't looked into the idea of tokenomics and staking and everything, it's extremely interesting. It makes it fun. Um, that's that's the stuff I love. Also, uh, Huxley is doing a good job at that. If you if you've heard of them, and again, it's comics. Yeah, there's um, there's a few there's there's a few. I mean, as I say, Creeps is interesting as a social game. Then yes. you've got Wolf Game that's really you know got a, a massive following. Uh, you've got Llamaverse that's popping up already. You know there, there, there are quite a few that are exploring these tokenomics. Uh, I've just gone blank on the one that's on the Arbitrum layer, uh, the, the 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 ape one, um, where they're building out a whole ecosystem. Um, it's not Kong's. Okay. Um, I've just gone blank, but yeah, there are a lot of these projects right now to be sure, right. and. Um, I think, I think, I think indeed, I think, um, you know, I, I'm primarily focused on play to earn games. It's where I spend most of my time. And so I'm looking at kind of the blockbusters, but mm -hmm. there is a lot, there is a lot to be said for these uh, mini games and social games um, and ecosystems that are developing out, especially because um, at some point, uh, they more, may all have a gateway into bigger metaverse programs, right? Like the sandbox will probably be able to onboard a lot of these games too. Um, oh, yeah. And and yeah, I, I think that that's that's going to add tremendous value to the space. Yeah, the whole the whole concept of the actual metaverse and the sandbox and everything is is going to be it's going to be fun. Also, and then to even and then go past that, the other thing that I'm really looking forward to is is NFTs extending into real life more. Um, I think it, it's uh, I think it's um, uh, what's the what's the big concert that's in the desert? Um, oh yeah, uh, Burning Man. Yeah, they're they're doing NFTs, right? Yeah, I think they're doing NFTs for 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 tickets, and you know we're going to start seeing them for game tickets. We're going to start seeing them for uh, other things, and and 
I find it hard to believe that they're not going to be playing a major role in our lives in all sorts of things and uh, to prove problems, right? Yeah, and and you know, again, I, I think a lot of the early adopters who came as as investors really have not clicked onto as much how important collectible wise these are going to be, right? I mean, I think we all grew up knowing that person who collected Coke bottles or Coke lids or something like that, right? Now, mm-hmm. imagine if every concert you can go to, you can have a wallet that's going to kind of be your window in time, your snapshot of all of the concerts you went to. And instead of just having a boring um, you know, piece of cardboard that probably gets torn and vomited on and broken over time, uh, you can have these fantastic, you know, tickets that also double as artwork to show your friends that you're a major Bieber fan or Madonna fan or whatever else. And so uh, I think that's going to be a beautiful aspect of it too. And um, merchandise brands, I mean, we're seeing Nike, Adidas and others coming in. And it just seems to me to be a no brainer that, you know, we live on Instagram and Twitter. And so your profile pic doubles as a brand ambassador, right? I mean, that iconic image um, of of a bored ape wearing an Adidas tracksuit is going to go down in history, I think. Yep, yep, and they 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 knew that. That's why they got it out there. They see it. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, and thank you all uh, the, the listeners. Uh, if you would like to hear more of these, please like and subscribe. Thank you again, Nick, or as you know, and as Captain Bad. And I'm going <laughs> to put your Twitter contacts and Fresh Drop site in the links, so anyone who needs to find you can. Thanks, Dylan. It was a pleasure. Likewise.